You're listening to a Cyberwire podcast from N2K Networks, powered by Dragos. It's January 25th, 2023, and you're listening to Control Loop. In today's OT cybersecurity briefing, the NOTAM outage was reportedly caused by a corrupted file. The Copper Mountain Mining Corporation is working to recover its IT systems following a ransomware attack. DNV's fleet management software sustains a ransomware attack. Ukrainian hacktivists conduct DDoS attacks against Iranian sites. Our interview today is part one from Dragos's Ask the ISACs discussion, led by Don Capelli, Dragos's head of OT Cert, with panelists Tim Chase, Eugene Kipnis, Jennifer Lynn Walker, and Matt Duncan. In today's Learning Lab, Mark Urban is joined by Dragos's Leslie Carhart, and they discuss part one of creating an ICS OT specific incident response plan. The U.S. Federal Aviation Administration ordered a nationwide grounding of all flights on January 11th after its NOTAM system went offline. That's the Notice to Air Missions system. Bloomberg cites a source familiar with the FAA's ongoing review as saying that the incident was caused by two people working for a contractor who added errors to the system's code. The FAA is investigating whether the changes were made intentionally or accidentally. According to NPR, the incident caused the cancellation of more than 1,300 flights and delayed approximately 10,000 flights. NOTAMs are used to inform planes in the air about hazardous conditions. A senior government official told NBC News that affected software was installed in 1993 and isn't scheduled to be updated for another six years. The challenge of keeping legacy software up to date is one that will be familiar to those concerned with industrial control systems, where patching is not always as easy and straightforward as one might think, especially if your mental model of patching comes from, say, periodically updating the software on your smartphone. Sound practices, including role-based access control and effective, attentive change management, can help avoid the kind of problem that tripped up the FAA. There's another lesson to be drawn, an IT failure, which essentially is what the NOTAM disruption amounted to, can have consequences for operations. In this case, the operations that were disrupted, the commercial flights themselves, were central to the business. The World Economic Forum, in collaboration with Accenture, has published its Global Cybersecurity Outlook for 2023, finding that 93% of cyber leaders believe that global geopolitical instability is moderately or very likely to lead to a catastrophic cyber event in the next two years. Much of the report focuses on the relationship between cybersecurity teams, the C-suite, and board leadership. The report found that both business leaders and cybersecurity employees made more appearances in front of board members last year, but also concludes that cyber and business leaders still have a great deal of work to do to truly understand each other, 
articulate the risk cyber issues pose to their business and translate that into meaningful management and mitigation measures. That sort of close cooperation is as important for industrial control systems as it is for IT systems, and among the most attractive targets for a nation-state waging cyber war is the adversary's infrastructure. The Copper Mountain Mining Corporation provided an update on the ransomware attack it sustained on December 27th. The company says its mill was back to full production by January 4th, and the operation is currently being stabilized as the remaining business systems are fully restored. Ship classification society DNV disclosed that its ship manager fleet management software was hit by a ransomware attack on January 7th. DNV says approximately 1,000 vessels belonging to 70 of its customers were affected, though the vessels could still use the offline functionalities of the software. DNV issued an update on January 19th stating that the forensic investigation conducted by DNV's global IT security partners has confirmed that no lateral movement to other parts of the DNV IT infrastructure was detected as part of the attack. Information like DNV user accounts, emails, and all other services have not been affected by the incident. As of January 19th, DNV was still working to bring Ship Manager back online. Russian hacktivists have served as auxiliaries in Russia's hybrid war, and they've been particularly active against targets in countries friendly to Ukraine. Russia has far fewer friends and partners internationally, but one of them, Iran, has now apparently been hit by pro-Ukrainian hacktivists. SC Media reports that DDoS attacks have affected a number of Iranian websites, including but not limited to sites belonging to the National Iranian Oil Company and Iran's supreme leader, Ali Khamenei. The hacktivists who claimed credit, the record reports, are clear that their operations are a reprisal for Iran's willingness to supply Russia with Shahed drones used in attacks against Ukrainian cities. It's also worth noting that the gang, in a statement on its Telegram channel, made an explicit threat to target oil processing SCADA in future attacks. Kulid Energy Corporation in Nunavut, Canada, was hit by a cyber attack on January 15th that took down its IT systems, the CBC reports. QEC disclosed last week that the attack brought down the systems at its customer care and administrative offices. The company has enlisted external cybersecurity experts to investigate the scope of the attack and determine what data was accessed. QEC says it will notify anyone whose information was accessed. The attacks didn't affect power plant operations, just business systems, and customers are presently unable to pay their bills via credit card. Premier P.J. Akigak said in a statement that various provincial and federal agencies are assisting with the recovery and that the Royal Canadian Mounted Police are investigating the incident. interview today is part one from Dragos's Ask the ISACs discussion. It's led by Don Capelli, Dragos's head of OT Cert, with panelists Tim Chase from the MFG ISAC, 
Eugene Kipnis from MSISAC, Jennifer Lynn Walker from the Water ISAC, and Matt Duncan from EISAC. I know on this panel is very passionate about helping to protect critical infrastructure. And so I'm just really excited to have all of you here. I'd just like to start, let's just jump right in and talk about what are the big challenges that your members are facing and how have you helped your members of your ISACs to respond? And let's go to you first, Eugene. Oh, thank you, Don. Um, so first I'll talk about a couple of the key threats that I just will quickly highlight. When we look at our community, the multi-state ISAC actually serves state, local, tribal, and territorial governments in the U.S. That's everything from, you know, states like like state of New York, obviously, um, to our territories like the Mariana Islands um, and D.C. and other regions and, and governments. We also work with really small organizations. Actually, they make up the bulk of our membership. Uh, we're talking about small towns, uh, county clerks and recorders who have a role in elections infrastructure, too, which we're also the home of the elections infrastructure ISAC. So we work with all of those offices as well through that initiative and, and that ISAC um, structure. But um, we, we've got everything from uh, your, your mosquito control districts, uh, in Florida to your uh, local public utilities, including municipal water and municipal power. It's where we've got some overlap and work and partner with um, the, our other ISACs a lot with those communities. And I would say that uh, just to hone in on two key threats that we're seeing, um, ransomware continues to be crippling for small organizations. Uh, it doesn't just affect uh, uh, always the ability to conduct business efficiently. It's affecting the ability to deliver critical services to their constituents. Um, we're seeing it across uh, local, small, small municipal organizations, like I mentioned. We're seeing it in the K-12 space for educational organizations, like school years aren't starting on time in some cases, even um, just an hour away from where I live due to ransomware attacks. And um, we're also seeing a lot of business email compromise. It's extremely lucrative. It's people are, are no longer just uh, uh, firing and forgetting basic emails. Sometimes there's some really intensive targeting based on sector that's going on uh, that can be pretty effective and uh, very unfortunate. And it, the reason for that is often organizations aren't well positioned with the effective business controls uh, in place to manage these things. So um, we look at the cyber controls and we look at the business process controls from those two angles for how organizations can build the resilience and their strength against these two threats. Um, we're, we're seeing organizations, like I said, uh, when it comes to like the business email compromise aspect of things, some, some organizations are losing substantial portions of their funds due to fraudulent wire funds transfers and such. It's a major issue for our small governments, school districts, local municipal utilities, et cetera. And it really just, we're, we're focusing on trying to build the community up through some best practices, uh, through direct service provision to the state and local community, any of those municipal governments, um, direct managed services and things that hopefully take off of their plate because these organizations, one, it's not so much a threat, but just a hallmark of how they're designed and how they're staffed and resourced. They are traditionally informally performing cybersecurity functions and sometimes informally performing IT functions at these organizational levels. We've got people who are wearing a hat, so to speak, part-time as the IT person for an organization or the infrastructure manager at some of these small towns and, and municipals. So that's uh, that's a big area that opens people up and, and leaves them 
exposed to more risk, more threats, and uh, causes a lot of trouble. Uh, so um, hopefully later on and through this call, we'll talk a little bit about some ways to mitigate that. But um, that that is a, a major concern of our community is just that resourcing, the time and cycles they can put towards cyber, and the, the, the thoughtfulness and the resourcing they can pull on um, because they are working on just keeping the lights on sometimes. Thanks, Eugene. And when we had a, a prep call for this webinar, we all agreed that we wanted Eugene to go first because, you know, Eugene talked mainly about IT threats in the MSI SAC members. And let's face it, those IT threats are a threat to everyone. You know, even if the other ISACs are going to talk more about threats in the OT environment, um, IT is a vector to get into OT. So um, we all thought that that would be a good place to start. So thanks, Eugene. And now we're going to go to Matt and hear about the electric sector and what kind of threats you're seeing and how you're helping your members. Hey, and thanks, Don. And I, I just want to give a shout out to my uh, my fellow ISAC uh, members here, uh, Jennifer, Tim, and uh, particularly Eugene. We partner um, with all ISACs through the National Council of ISACs, but also uh, on a bilateral basis, uh, particularly uh, the MS ISAC, who's been a great, uh, great partner of ours. So uh, everything that uh, Gene said about uh, the threats to IT, election threats, uh, we're in lockstep with them and really proud to have that, that partnership. So from an electricity perspective, um, I want to talk a little bit about the ever-increasing velocity and complexity in the security threat landscape facing electricity and what the EISAC and industry is doing about it. I want to remind people that defense is doable, especially if we take a collective defense approach, particularly in the operational technology environment. And um, while this call is focused on small and medium businesses, uh, I, I want to point out in electricity, um, small and medium utilities are not necessarily as small as some of the businesses in the manufacturing sector or the water sector or, or other sectors, uh, because in our case, small and medium-sized utilities are multi-million dollar businesses. Uh, so that introduces a, a different type of complexity uh, to the environment, as well as being regulated in many, in many cases. So uh, if you look at what the EISAC has done on behalf of the industry uh, this past year, uh, you can see that collective defense approach I mentioned uh, in action. Um, the EISAC has been on a, a strategic plan that includes a greater focus not only on OT, but supporting small and medium utilities. Um, we're also leveraging access to unique data sets like the CRIS program, uh, Dragos's Neighborhood Keeper, NRECA Essences, and a number of others to do uh, hunt uh, activities in our IT and occasionally OT data sets. And we're looking to grow those uh, capabilities as more and more utilities uh, deploy uh, monitoring capabilities inside their OT environments, both north-south and east-west. Um, we're also heavily uh, integrated with the U.S. and Canadian governments, uh, particularly this past year with the Russia invasion of Ukraine. Uh, we promoted the CISA Shields Up guidance to our members, uh, but also uh, created our own OT-specific uh, Shields Up guidance for electricity uh, entities, uh, providing some methods and practices to increase OT cybersecurity. And of course, that was all available for free on the ISAC portal. Um, which brings me to our, our membership. 
Um, the ISAC membership continues to grow, particularly around uh, events like the Russia invasion, uh, the recent uh, shooting of distribution substations on the physical side. Um, and actually, 65% of our membership is from small and medium utilities. And uh, many of those uh, utilities are, are paying no additional cost beyond their standard NERC assessment uh, to join the EISAC. So we have the benefit in that our program um, is free to many and doesn't cost any extra to the utilities. And I think that has helped uh, grow our membership and our, our collective defense community, uh, including with the natural gas uh, subsector, uh, the renewable power generation sector, as well uh, as uh, a vendor um, program that we recently started to uh, counter the supply chain threat, which brings me to the threats we're, we're seeing. Um, so in the past year, there's no shortage of supply chain uh, vulnerabilities that actors can use to implant ransomware, do wiper malware, uh, and other malicious activities. Uh, and supply chain threats, particularly from managed service provider compromises, does present a very real and long-term threat uh, and will remain a feature of our threat landscape. But it also underscores the importance of that remote access monitoring and response, uh, particularly in OT environments. Major nation state adversaries, specifically China and Russia, remain very active. And we have seen a marked increase in attempts to exploit our sector through real basic things that Eugene talked about, like phishing and credential harvesting campaigns. Um, so you have to do those good basic cyber hygiene things well in IT to also be successful in OT, I would submit. Uh, in addition, we've seen an increase in surveillance activities and reconnaissance that are designed uh, to look at networks and identify unpatched vulnerabilities and other commercial espionage activities. Uh, and these activities are reported to us. Uh, they're detailed in open source as well as classified sources. And it's also seen in our, our CRISP program. Um, ransomware, uh, as Eugene mentioned, is the scourge uh, facing our economy, and it's a reality of the world we live in. And it's a very real threat as we continue to see not only enterprise IT system compromises, including some in electric utilities in the U.S. and Canada over the last couple of years, but these criminal ransomware services uh, are only going to continue to uh, seek out targets Pick, uh, pick out unpatched vulnerabilities to try to get paid. And so we need to work together to uh, respond to that. Uh, finally, even though this is a cybersecurity focused webinar, I do want to point out that the EISAC is closely monitoring the recent physical security events that were impacting electric distribution facilities uh, across the country. And while the North American bulk power system has not been affected, the EISAC is directly coordinating with the electricity industry as well as federal and state government entities to keep its members and partners uh, abreast of the latest uh, information regarding these troubling physical uh, security incidents. I could certainly say more and I will, but Don, let me uh, turn it back to you. Yeah, it's been a crazy year. Boy, when you listen to all of that, you think about we started with the Russia-Ukraine war and now the physical attacks that, you know, it, it, in security, we never get to rest. Yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, for, for many decades, we were essentially protected uh, by, by our oceans. But now the, the grid is real, really part of the geopolitical battlefield. Uh, whether it's nation state actors looking to influence 
uh, political decision-making by U.S. government or NATO governments, or even uh, ransomware criminals or other uh, groups trying to get paid. Uh, we really need to, to step up our game and work together uh, to counter threats that uh, were not there a generation ago. In today's Learning Lab, Mark Urban is joined by Dragos's Leslie Carhart, and they discuss part one of creating an ICS OT-specific incident response plan. Hello once again, Mark Urban uh, with the Learning Lab on Control Loop. Today's topic is instant response for cyber incidents in industrial control systems and operational technology. To help us understand that world better, I'm joined by Leslie Carhart, one of our uh, own here at Dragos, the Director of Instant Response for North America. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you for having me, Mark. Yeah, of course. Uh, So maybe we can start with a bit of your background, kind of where you come from, some of your experiences, especially as they're relevant to instant response. Sure, I'd love to. I've been working in cybersecurity specifically for about the last 15 years, And prior to that, I worked in information technology, and I was also in the military. I have a kind of a varied background from electronics to aviation to computers to computer security networks, my degrees in network engineering. And I find in this space of industrial cybersecurity, people tend to have those very varied backgrounds with exposure to industrial technology and critical systems and also the interest in cybersecurity. And we meld those all together to work in this kind of unique space of securing critical infrastructure and being concerned about safety and kinetic impacts of cyber attacks. So that's my background. I've, I've done a lot of different things, moving from the military space to the network space to the cybersecurity space. But where I'm really happy and I'm really passionate now is working with cybersecurity, and specifically incident response, so doing response to breaches and intrusions into critical infrastructure networks, because it's so important. So you brought up a couple words that, you know, I'm a long time in cybersecurity, but never used the word kinetic. Uh, And I think that speaks to the nature of impacting physical things within the environment with industrials. Am I reading that right? Absolutely. We refer to kinetic cyber attacks as a way to differentiate these attacks that potentially have an impact that's physical in the real world. So we're talking about tampering with machinery and things that move things in the real world, heat them up, cool them down, move them cross country. So physical impacts in the real world that can be caused by computer systems, either through a maintenance fault or mechanical fault or malicious actor trying to do something on purpose. So take us through, so if if those are some of the impacts and some of the incidents that, you know, we are reacting to, take us through what, what is an ICS, you know, specific incident response plan? You know, why have it? Why is it different from IT? Yeah. So it's always important to have a plan for what's going to happen and what you're going to do if there's an intrusion into your network, whether that's an enterprise network or an industrial network, anybody can be a target. You could be a target just to be a test bed for somebody else, 
or you could be a, a way to reach another network if you have partners, peers, vendors, etc. So anybody can be in a target. And no matter how well you defend, there's always some potential, some percentile percentage chance that you will have an intrusion, an incident, a breach, etc. So you need to prepare for what you're going to do because it gets much more expensive, much more costly to not prepare in advance. Incident result, response consulting rates, they aren't cheap for a reason. You're, you're dealing with things on fire. You're dealing with an emergency. So having somebody come in and not have any preparation and plans in place in advance, that can get pricey for any organization. So of course, we encourage organizations to have a plan in place and prepare as much as they can, no matter how little of a target they really think they are, how little likelihood they see of having some kind of cyber attack, purposeful or other, it's a good idea to have that in place. Now, most organizations have some kind of plan in place for what's going to happen in their enterprise environment if, say, they get ransomed or something gets stolen off their corporate network, they have a data breach. But industrial networks, that's kind of a new frontier. And as we mentioned earlier, these can have really real physical kinetic impacts on the real world, life and safety. We, we know how bad it can be if an industrial network has a problem. We've seen industrial accidents. We know what that can look like. So there's, there's big potential there for real physical harm to the world and to people. And dealing with cybersecurity incidents in these environments is very, very different. For a lot of reasons. First of all, we're thinking about those physical impacts in the real world. So our number one priority is keeping things safe in these environments, keeping people safe and keeping the equipment safe, making sure there is an environmental contamination. So our priorities can be somewhat different. And our decision making during an incident response effort is very different. But that's only one piece of the puzzle. We also have to be able to function and do incident response in process hazard environments. We have to take safety considerations into our account as we're doing our incident response. And we have to deal with very, very different technologies because not only are there a lot of legacy technologies, incredibly old technologies doing very critical things in these industrial environments, but we also have low-level devices, so things like RTUs and PLCs, SCADA systems, et cetera, that might not be running a familiar operating system or even an operating system that's documented well. So doing forensics and figuring out what's been done to them can be much more challenging. And all of that put together also means that we have to be able to make good decisions about what to do in these environments because we never want to cause a worse impact than a malicious person or a piece of malware as the incident responders. We have to take all of these factors, the legacy sensitive systems, the low level devices, the process and safety critical decision-making into account when we're doing response to a cybersecurity incident so that we don't do something worse than a potential adversary might. Yeah, so interesting in, in the IT world, you know, it might be the, the theft of data or availability of a particular, you know, server that's the impact. Here in industrial, we're talking about a completely different game and, you know, impacting safety systems, potential environmental impacts, different types of systems, old systems, and all the downstream impacts from that. It sounds like a very different world than, than, than the IT world. I'll be blunt. 
there's certainly, certainly, you know, people's lives are on the line with these systems. If you make a mistake or you make the wrong decision, somebody could potentially die. That's a good, that's a good point about the criticality of it. So if, if, if it is a critical world, it is a different world. What are some of those key elements that you see in, you know, in the industrial world around a good incident response plan? So the number one thing is having a good relationship between the incident response team, the cybersecurity professionals who will be doing incident response or assisting with it, and the operators and engineers who are on the process side of things. If you don't have that functional relationship, you're going to be in deep trouble if there's a cybersecurity incident. There's, in a lot of cases, a level of animosity and hostility between cybersecurity and industrial staff. That can be because of misunderstandings and miscommunications and misdirected efforts over many, many years. So a lot of the environments we come into, these teams don't communicate well. And there has to be good coordination between the facility management and the engineers and the operators, local IT staff, and the cybersecurity people to survive these incidents. So number one thing is get that relationship, get your house in order that's going to help you do the rest of your planning and understand what to do during a cybersecurity incident. Okay, so get the house in order, iron up those relationships between the responders and the operations part of the, of the business. What are, what are some of the next elements? Next, we wanna understand our environment. That's really crucial. So having a good understanding of how our network is laid out and what technologies are in place. So that means network maps and asset inventories, understanding where we have architectural deficiencies and how we can shore those defenses up. We start with the fundamentals. I know that out there in the cybersecurity space, you'll hear a lot of sales pitches for really advanced technologies to plug into your network. We're back to the fundamentals in ICS really, and everywhere. We need to get the fundamentals done first to really do effective cybersecurity. So we need to know what's out there to secure it, we need to know how it's laid out and we need to start trying to shore up and improve our architecture where we can. So that means some of the stuff that we consider boring, like building good network maps, keeping them updated, building good asset inventories and understanding what technologies we have to secure. All of those things, very fundamental, but very neglected in industrial spaces. Okay. So just knowing the environment, having the details of that documented, uh, knowing where some of the shortcomings in the architecture are. Okay, so we've got the relationship. Now we've got the environment. Is there another component? Yep. So now we're going to start building some more cybersecurity functionality in. So we're going to try to start building in fast passive detection and monitoring into our environment so we actually know if there's a cybersecurity incident. And if there is, we have some record of what happened. What my team does isn't magic. We aren't people on a CSI TV show. We have to do things in painstaking scientific ways to find out what was done to a hacked computer or hacked computer network. No magical blue lights are gonna solve our problems. We have to have something as evidence available to us to figure out the, the narrative of what happened and make good decisions about what to do to resolve it. So having some detection, some monitoring in place is a net, another key step that'll help us understand what happened and it'll help you know when to call us or when to call your own incident response team. 
that's that's what we're there for. But we can't help you unless you know that something's going wrong. And not every intrusion does something highly visible, like an immediate kinetic impact or a ransoming of your computer. Sometimes things are long-term. Sometimes adversaries are building footholds to do things in the future. Sometimes they're exfiltrating information so they can learn more about your operations. And if you don't have any detection in place, that could go on for a long time without you knowing and being able to call somebody. So the detection's an important piece. And also understanding your vulnerability landscape. So doing some vulnerability management is really important. So what is vulnerable in your environment? Where's this this squishy center of your crispy candy outside of your industrial (laughs) environment? What could somebody potentially tamper with? What are the scenarios that would lead to consequences of concern in your environment? So a little bit of crown jewel analysis. So really, what's your worst day ever? What could cause it? Those are important questions to ask as well, to build your incident response plan and understand what you're really concerned about and how you'll weigh risk. All right, that 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 was a lot. Let me ask you a couple questions about, you know, so you talked about what is your worst day? So no, so first of all, to recap, you know, the cyber functions of passive monitoring so that you can detect when things are going wrong. So you have some information to look at and some vulnerability management to find that squishy center. But then you talked about, you know, what's your worst day and what are some of those scenarios that could you kind of click down on, you said crown jewels, worst day and scenarios. Can you kind of click down on that to give us an understanding of what you're talking about? Absolutely. I'd love to. So, Again, in these environments, your utmost concerns are the safety of humans and the safety of your equipment and your facility and the environment, real, physical, real-life things. So your concerns are very quantifiable in these industrial environments. And you should be able to go to even your executive leadership and say, what's our worst day ever look like? What does our, our worst consequence of concern look like in our environment? And they'll probably name some things like an operator being injured or dying or a, a fire in the facility or a event that causes contamination to the environment or something that causes regulatory agencies to be called. All those things could be major consequences of concerns. It has nothing necessarily to do with cybersecurity. There's a lot of things that could cause those consequences, maintenance problems, human error, but they could perhaps potentially be caused by something cybersecurity related. We have to figure that out. We're the cybersecurity experts, right? So the, the question to start with first, though, is what is my worst day ever? What is What does that look like? Let's not think about cyber, cyber, cyber. Let's not think about pew pews. Let's think about Let's think about what, in a, in a holistic way, what is our organization concerned about happening? And then let's work down from there. Let's work into the industrial network. What could cause a fire to start? Is it a particular piece of equipment? Is there something modifying temperature? Is there safety control mitigating that? Is there human operator as mitigation for that fire potentially starting? What does that all look like? Let's map it out. Let's see all the things in our environment that could potentially cause that consequence that we're worried about. And then as we map that down by talking to system specialists and interviewing people in the operational environment, we'll get a better idea of where our causes of those potential consequences of concern could be and what mitigations are in place to stop them. And as we follow that further and further down the line, we might start getting to computer things. 
So digital devices in our industrial network, like computers or PLCs that could potentially cause those bad things to happen. And hey, we've just reached something that from an incident response perspective and security monitoring perspective, we might need to be really worried about. And that's where we want to focus our planning, perhaps, our tabletop exercises, if we're doing disaster recovery exercises, our network monitoring exercises, threat hunting, all of those things. We might want to start focusing them around those specific systems. We call those crown jewel systems, the things that could cause those really bad consequences, really critical to our operations. And I encourage organizations to never just say, oh, this system must be our crown jewel because it's the most expensive thing, or it looks the most important in our environment, or somebody said it is in their organization. Do that mapping. Start with the consequences and figure out which devices really could play a part in those really bad days. And that will give you a really good idea of where to focus planning for incident response and all of your other cybersecurity efforts. Interesting. Okay, so that's a fascinating kind of working back, you know, starting with a consequence. What's what's terrible? What's the, what's the worst day? Working back to systems, what could cause those systems? What are the settings and then how you can mitigate it. So that's a fascinating kind of chain of logic to look at, uh, you know, exposures for cyber. Even if the consequence you wouldn't necessarily think about it as cyber, you go back in the chain until you can find if there's some cyber linkage to that consequence. That's a fascinating way to look at it. Leslie Carhart, Director of Incident Response in North America for Dragos. Thank you so much for your time today and, and giving us that insight into not only what happens on that day, but how to, for those worst days, how to prepare for them with a plan. Thank you, Leslie. And that's Control Loop, brought to you by the Cyberwire and powered by Dragos. For links to all of today's stories, check out our show notes at thecyberwire.com. Sound design for this show by Elliot Peltzman with mixing by Trey Hester. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our Dragos producers are Joanne Roche and Mark Urban. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.